Well, today, though it is Reformation Sunday, I've made a slight change in our gospel lesson. Now, normally for Reformation Sunday, our featured gospel is the same. It's a portion of John's gospel, and we repeat it every year. However, this time around, I have taken the approach of going back to the regularly assigned gospel text for this Sunday if we were not celebrating Reformation Sunday, because this is also the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost. It's both and. And so with that, our gospel lesson for today comes out of Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, and you have truly said that he is one and beside him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that the scribe had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any questions. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Recently, some news broke in pop culture land that was kind of exciting. It was announced that the great comedian and comedy movie maker Mel Brooks is finally planning on making his long-awaited, long-promised, and yet never realized History of the World Part Two. Now that's exciting, but with there being a part two, that indicates there's also a part one, and it, there is, and it came out decades ago. It's a very old movie. But it has a scene in it that, in my honest and humble opinion, is probably one of the funniest moments that pokes just a little bit of fun at matters of faith. Mel Brooks is dressed up as Moses, and this is going all the way back to Exodus and the receiving of the law when Moses receives the law. And he comes out to this cliff face, and he's holding three tablets of the commandments. And he addresses them. He says, people of God, I have received these 15 commandments. And then he kind of stumbles and he drops one of the tablets and it breaks. And he just kind of looks down at the ground and looks at this broken tablet for a moment. And he looks at what's still in his hands. And he says, people of God, I have received these 10 commandments. I often laugh at that. I think it's funny. It's a very, very witty moment. But what's interesting is I always reference that moment whenever I'm working with our confirmation students teaching about the Ten Commandments, which, interestingly enough, we're doing right now. It's happening. We're in the midst of that unit right now. And we did just talk about that moment. And one of the reasons that I bring that up is actually to make a point. And it's because I ask a question. If there really were 15 commandments, what do you suppose those extra ones, numbers 11 through 15, would be? And in fact, I asked them the question, let's just do one. What would your 11th commandment be? And I found myself actually thinking about that over the course of this week. And then I was thinking about what's coming down the pipe at us in terms of, of the calendar and things that are happening very soon. And I came up with the only thing that I could really imagine. 
thou shalt not listen to daylight savings time. Foolish, I know. But I don't like daylight savings time. I don't like time changes. I just don't. Even traveling tends to throw me off just a little bit when that happens, and I really don't enjoy it. Now, if I had to pick one, I guess I would probably really rather have this one in the fall where the time falls back as opposed to springing forward in the spring because we get that extra hour of sleep, and you know what, that's a good thing. But on the flip side, it also means it's going to start getting dark at 5 o'clock, and I am not a fan of that. So, yes, for me, commandment number 11, thou shalt not have daylight savings time. I'm joking around. You know that I am. But when I think about that, I realize that this is me putting my own selfish nature into that commandment, into that thing that I think is so important. It's about what I want. It's not about anything else. It's about the fact that I don't like daylight savings time and I don't want to listen to it. But it's about me. The opposite is true in what we have today. Now, I appreciate this passage so, so, so much. In order to set the scene just a little bit, in past weeks, in recent weeks, we've been hearing about the encounters that Jesus has had as he's been on his way to Jerusalem. He's been en route, and he's been telling his disciples, and he's been telling his audience over and over and over again what's going to happen there. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be killed. But on the third day, he will rise again. That's been all over our scripture lessons. And we've also had these various encounters that Jesus has had with people as they're trying to wrap their heads around this idea of the kingdom of heaven and what is it and what does it mean and what do I have to do to be a part of it? And and Jesus continues to correct them and make them realize that you have to receive it. It's not about earning it. It's not about getting yourself into it. It's about it being given to you. And then now, as we fast forwarded just a couple of chapters, we find Jesus in Jerusalem. The setting of this is actually within the temple. It's during this final week of life before the Passover, before the Last Supper, before his betrayal and his his arrest, and all of that's going to happen. This happens during that week. So they're in Jerusalem. And Jesus is in the temple, as he often is, and he's been teaching, and he's been having different encounters. And through all the course of this, this scribe, this individual, this expert in the law, the one who would be the equivalent of like a seminary professor, he comes up to him and he asks him a question. He's been listening to Jesus. He's been having the, the, listening to the various encounters that Jesus has been doing. And he says, he seems to be impressed. And so he asks them, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus answers the question in something that I appreciate so, so, so much. He goes back to what would be considered to be the introduction to those Ten Commandments. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your strength. And then he says, and the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what I really appreciate about this encounter, about this moment, which seems to be so different than the ones that we've been hearing about recently, is that the scribe agrees. (laughs) And as he thinks about it, and he thinks about his own understanding, his own interpretation of the law, he seems to be lining up with Jesus. You have said it rightly, there is one God, and you shall love God with everything that you are, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, this is more important than any sacrifice or ritual or anything. And Jesus is like, this guy gets it. And he says, the kingdom, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. And then the debates are over and this moment has passed and no one dares question him again, at least until the next day. 
But in this moment, we see Jesus encountering someone who seems to get it who seems to be having this Holy Spirit-inspired understanding, which that's the only place that the understanding can come from. It's above our ability to comprehend, and yet this guy seems to be getting it. It's a wonderful, wonderful moment, even if it's fleeting. We don't know what happens with this guy later on. We don't know if he continues to agree with Jesus or if he continues to disagree with Jesus. We don't know, but in this moment, Jesus recognizes the kingdom of heaven is near to this guy. Now, what I love about this whole situation is it speaks to the truth that lies behind the Ten Commandments or the law as we've come to know it. Now, whenever I'm talking about the Ten Commandments with our confirmation kids or even with anybody else, I tend to look at it from the perspective of how do we see this? When we look at these rules, these these Ten Commandments at face value, they seem like just a to-do list or a not-to-do list a way to govern the way we encounter things of what we do or we don't do. And it just seems like it's this checklist. And when we take things at face value, that's where we tend to stop, isn't it? But when we consider what's lying underneath these commandments, we recognize the gift that it was from God to the Israelites, from God to these people, that God was showing through these commandments that harmony is possible. And this is how we do it. And God intended for those Israelites, those recipients of the law, to use the Ten Commandments and to be an example for all of the world that this is how you live in harmony. It is possible. But harmony with who? That's really lying, that's a question that lies underneath this, and the answer to that lies in Jesus' answer. The first of the commandments are aimed at our relationship with God. How do we live in harmony with God? How do we recognize that God is God and I am not? And we give honor and glory to the one who is God. The first three commandments, one through three, are all aimed in that direction, loving God, giving honor to God, that harmony in that relationship. And then four through 10, the remaining Seven commandments are all aimed at our relationships with one another. How do we live in harmony with one another? Now again, face value trips us up. Because if it's just a batch of rules of what to do and not to do, it seems very simple to adhere to. And we have moments in scripture when, when that very question comes to Jesus, and that's the response. I've done all these things since I was young. But Jesus knows that. And Jesus teaches us about that too. There's a moment in Matthew's gospel, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a very famous teaching. You have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not kill. One of the commandments, right? It's right in there. Thou shalt not kill. And it seems really easy. Hey, I've never killed anyone. I'm good to go. But Jesus goes on and he says, but if you have anger in your heart toward your brother or sister, you have already committed murder in your heart. And in this, Jesus is showing us that it's not just about our actions, but that the brokenness of our existence, the brokenness that lies within us and within this world that surrounds us goes far deeper than just face value, far deeper than our actions. Now, whenever I teach this to the confirmation kids, we tend to make a joke out of it. Hey, have you ever gotten mad at your brother or your sister? And of course, siblings always get angry with each other. So it's like, oh, well, you killed your brother. And so we joke about that week after week after week. Hey, have you killed your brother today? Jokes aside, there's truth in this. 
And we recognize that our actions have meaning, but also so do our intentions. Because if we harbor anger or resentment towards our neighbor, then we are not hoping and, and seeking the good existence for them that God has also intended for them. That's what lies underneath this. And it's, it's, it, it's so deep within us that no matter how hard we try to follow the rules, we don't get there. Now, this is what we have been talking about week in and week out, week in and week out, that it's not about what we achieve. And yet, what is the purpose of God giving it to us in the first place? To remind us that harmony is possible and to help us to recognize those times when it does not happen. Now again, remember, where is Jesus at during this encounter? Jesus is in Jerusalem. And just a couple of days after this moment, he is tortured. He is killed. And he does rise again. And whatever it was that Jesus was accomplishing through his life and his death and his resurrection, it is somehow making forgiveness and mercy and grace possible. Whenever we think about the why that lies behind what happens to Jesus and whatever it is that Jesus is achieving, we remember that God made all of this. And all of this starts from a place of God's joy and delight because God makes the world and God calls it good. God's like, this is really cool. And then God makes humanity and that includes you. And God's like, this is very good. Your existence begins from a place of God's favor and joy and delight. And yes, brokenness does happen, but it's the next chapter. It doesn't start there. And so I believe that God desires for that brokenness to be overcome because that's not where we start from. That's what Jesus seemed to be accomplishing and making it possible for forgiveness and reconciliation back towards that harmony to be realized but we're not there yet. That promise is given to us. It is freely given, that free gift of God's grace that we celebrate and that we announce to one another and that we receive in faith, knowing that God has given it to us, not because we've earned it, but because God has granted it to us out of love and joy and mercy. This is the gospel. This is what we gather to talk about to recognize the truth about ourselves, that yes, we are flawed and broken, but God loves us first. And God grants mercy and grace and that claim beloved child upon us first. And the promise is that through Jesus, that is already done for you. Even in the times when it might not feel like it, the truth is still there. And we cling to that promise that is so central to our understanding of faith. We cling to it, we announce it, we find our hope in it. And I hope that it gives you hope today to recognize that the one who made all of this takes joy and delight in you and has already overcome that which hinders, that which breaks the good relationship, the, the joy, the harmony that lies within it. And that one day, that harmony will be brought to perfection.